Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. This is radio's answer to culinary conversation and inspiration. I'm all about the culture of food and living the best life. And we celebrate food and its ability to feed your soul on this show. Whether you love to cook or love to eat, you are bound to find something every weekend that will definitely stimulate your appetite and hopefully satiate it. You can visit chefjamie.com for videos, recipes, features, and more. And I hope you'll take your cooking skills to the next level just by staying tuned. My day-to-day scrumptiousness is on social media at Chef Jamie Gwen. And since my goal is to satiate your appetite, you'll hear about the world of food, recipes, celebrity chefs, artisans, farmers, bakers, and more on this show. You'll also learn about trends and travel, health, the environment, wine, mixology, and living the best life. So please stay tuned. Coming up, this show is all about sustainability because we have to give back. We have to do our part to make the planet a better place for generations to come. And for me, since my world is food centric, that begins with the land, the soil, the oceans, and more. And so we're going to talk about sustainable agriculture today. There is a new documentary that you don't want to miss called Common Ground that we're going to dish all about. And then also, because October is National Seafood Month, a third-generation Alaskan commercial fisherwoman is joining us, and I can't wait for Hannah to sit down to dish. But first, you know I like to start this show off with a tutorial of sorts, one that makes you the best cook you know, right? And it's officially fall when the leaves start to turn. Well, it's still rather warm here in Southern California, so while the leaves haven't started turning just yet, I have started seeing offerings of delicious apple cider. And to me, that is fall. Whether you're at the farmer's market or your favorite grocery store, there is nothing better than fresh apple cider. And now is the time as well to go apple picking. Now, if you've ever wondered what exactly constitutes apple cider, it is simply raw pressed apples with no added water or preservatives. And I am an apple cider fan, like a true fan. There's something beautifully seasonal about it. It's limited production. It's artisan made. And it has so many really magnificent uses. Now, apple juice... Uh, on the contrary, I should say, is often processed or filtered, right? It can have sugar or water. Um, In the US though, some companies label apple cider and apple juice interchangeably. So you really have to read the label. But when you find real freshly pressed apple cider, it is delectable. And apple cider is not just for drinking. You can add fabulous flavor to your dishes because the sweetness of the apple, um, often combined um, with spices in the dish, uh, maybe a little bit of sweetness, or if you're using it straight savory, 
it really enhances the flavors. Now, cider has a story that is, I think, often overlooked. In colonial America, many homesteads had an orchard, and cider was the drink of the people. In fact, one historian stated that in 1767, a way while back, 35 gallons of cider were consumed per person annually in Massachusetts. That's food for thought. Cider actually continued to be the country's most popular alcoholic drink through the 19th century until beer surpassed cider production uh, at the turn of the 20th century. Now, after prohibition began, many of those orchards were abandoned and cider never really recovered. But today, this forgotten beverage is in the midst of a renaissance and not only as a business, but as a craft, its identity can be divided into two different areas, commercial and craft. There is the fresh apple cider, the non-alcoholic kind that you find at the farmer's market, usually from um, apple growers or producers, right? And that makes beautiful mold cider. I love to deglaze pork chops with it for a pan sauce. You can bake with it by substituting it for the liquid in your recipe, like add it to quick breads and otherwise. You can make a glaze, apple cider and powdered sugar or confectioner's sugar for a cake. So good. <clears throat> and then there are craft ciders. That's the version that's been fermented. And those take their models more from wine. So ciders above 7% alcohol by volume are actually considered wine, but they have to be derived wholly from apples. An American craft cider has a diversity of styles, right? You can find a beer-like version uh, that are uh, hopped or smoked or infused. You can find some wine-like ciders. Those are sparkling or still. They're fermented in my opinion, buy one preferably that's aged in an oak barrel. Oh, it's so good. There are actually more than 500 cider producers in the U.S. today. Many don't have distribution outside their local area. Even better. (laughs) But when you find a fine apple cider producer, you will want to use their classic autumnal refreshment for everything, in my opinion. So here's my best inspiration. Consider using cider in place of water for a brine. Oh, your Thanksgiving turkey just got so happy. A pork roast is made better from a cider brine as well. And I add a little bit of maple syrup. I like allspice. I like bay leaves. I like dried thyme or fresh thyme in there. You can add all the herbaceousness you want because the apple cider really stands up to the additional flavors. And then of course there is hot apple cider, um, for a fall warmer when the nights get cool and what could be better? Um, a hot spice cider fragrant with cinnamon makes the whole house smell so good. You're really simply spicing up fresh local apple cider with cinnamon and cloves and a good generous splash of dark rum and some orange slices. I'll gladly send you the recipe. Just email me, jamie at chefjamie.com. Let me know what you're making with cider. And cheers to fall because that's the way to celebrate. All right. I know I have cider aficionado friends out there. I do. I do. It's time for food news this week. Here's some news you can use. As I like to say, this makes great dinner party conversation because the world's best bar 
for 2023 has been revealed and Barcelona has retained its grip on the world's best bar list for intimate cocktail joints. The 2023 awards just happened. Um, London, New York usually dominate. Um, but last year's top prize slipped into fourth place and the ceremony, by the way, was held in Singapore and this list has become very important to cocktail lovers worldwide. Unanimously, number one was chosen uh, by uh, 680 industry figures, bar owners, bartenders, critics, and more. And they are generically asked where they have enjoyed their best bar experience. And they all, a majority, I suppose, named the same. It is called Sips, S-I-P-S. It is a Barcelona bar that was opened during the pandemic. And they, the owners, Simone and Mark, are saying that this number one spot is a dream. And I quote, because it is going to be transformative for their establishment. It has only 33 seats. They use locally sourced ingredients to produce what are called high couture cocktails in this bar. It has supposedly spectacular architecture. It has gastronomy and good weather, really good drinks, spectacular service, and it has been recognized. So who wants to go to Barcelona with me? I'm in. Let's go to Sips. <laughs> and that is the world's best bar 2023. You heard it here first. All right, coming up, we're going to sit down and dish with two extraordinary individuals, environmentalists, filmmakers, whose passion are making yours and my world, the world of farmers and growers, better. Josh and Rebecca Tickle are here. The documentary just released to great acclaim is called Common Ground, and we're going to dish all about it. Please don't touch your dial. Grab a snack. Come on back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Responsible culinary conversation to make every day more delicious. Chef Jamie Gwen here to feed your soul. This is important. Please listen up. Healthy soil is the foundation of productive, sustainable agriculture. Whether it's corn in Alabama or beef cattle in Wyoming or something in between, there is no doubt that the system is broken. Farmers are sick, our food system is in peril, and something needs to change. And as a chef, I feel an obligation to discuss the state of our food system, to spread the word, to share insight, to discover information to better you as a food lover. So here it is. It's a must-see. 
The movie is called Common Ground, a documentary, the highly anticipated sequel to Kiss the Ground, which touched over 1 billion people globally and actually inspired the United States Department of Agriculture to put $20 billion towards soil health. Kudos to the tickles. I'm going to tell you all about them. Common Ground unveils a dark web of money and power and politics that are behind our food system. But Josh and Rebecca tickle to the rescue. They are environmentalists whose careers span a very unique mixture of science and journalism and filmmaking. They co-directed Fuel, which was the 2008 Sundance Audience Award-winning documentary that investigates the replacement of fossil fuels with renewable energy. Josh's 2017 Simon & Schuster book, Kiss the Ground, from which the docu was based, was an Amazon bestseller. And Rebecca has spent many years documenting the impacts and the root cause of the BP oil spill. Her directorial debut with Josh was the critically acclaimed documentary Pump, narrated by Jason Bateman. She's directed and produced multiple other movies and the forthcoming documentary, The Revolution Generation. And I am immensely admiring of their passion, their dedication to the planet and their work. And I am truly grateful that they are gracing this show. Ladies and gentlemen, Josh and Rebecca Tickle are here to share common ground. Hello to you both, and kudos to you. Thank, thank you, you. Yes. So excited to be with you today. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, a, a very long but well-deserved illustrious introduction, and I think it's important to uh, set the stage, essentially, to give background as to who and what you both are and what you do, because these are passion projects. And the one thing I was most impressed by of many uh, about Common Ground is it's not doom and gloom. You offer a solution to the agricultural issues, rather, that pain us. So uh, tell the story, please. Tell the story of Common Ground. Well, the exciting part of the story is we have heard so much bad news about our food system. It's true. And our farming system and our climate, right? And of course, people get these things are connected but we haven't heard a lot of good news and what's exciting about the regenerative agriculture revolution is it's good news yes farmers are making profit carbon's going into soil they're producing healthy nutritious food for our families and that's all stuff we want and it's profitable right like farmers are making more money by doing that So the top line of what Common Ground is about, it's a solution for our climate, a solution for our food, and a solution for our failing farms and our soil, which is blowing away. So that's a pretty big claim, uh, but we've got an amazing 100-minute movie that backs it up. Yes, and, and it is positive, and we could all use some positive. I, again, I love that it is a solution. Rebecca, can you please define regenerative agriculture for all of us, including myself, that need to understand it on a deeper level? Yes, regenerative agriculture is exactly what it sounds like. It's regenerating the soil, it's regenerating the food, it's regenerating our economy, and it's regenerating our climate. And so... I come from a, a farming family that I can trace back to the 1700s in the Midwest. Wow. The way that we've been practicing growing food today involves a lot of chemical use, a lot of tillage, 
we're growing things in monocrops. We're just growing one thing. There's a lack of biodiversity out in our fields. And that, that means there's no resiliency because biodiversity equals resiliency. So regenerative agriculture is simply implementing the, pra- the practices of regeneration. That means keeping the earth covered at all times. It means no tilling the soil, keeping that living root alive at all times. It means no chemicals or very, very little chemicals, and also farming in context. So, you know, it's maybe you're not supposed to grow oranges in Southern California or in Ojai where we live, or, you know, we can't grow the same thing everywhere. We have to look at what would nature grow here? How can we help nature to thrive in this environment, and how can we participate in that system? And when we do that, and when we look around our environment, the abundance that can come from anywhere that we live more than we can possibly imagine. It's more than one crop. Um, it's more than one type of food. Mm-hmm. And the soil, as a result of that, you're building soil, which can then help infiltrate water, hold on to water like a sponge. Mm-hmm. And it also has the added benefit of drawing down carbon. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need to do right now. We're all terrified about yes. what the future is going to look like in 50 years and for our kids. And when we start to build soil, it's not just degeneration, which is what we've been doing, or sustainability, which is what we've been striving for, which is keeping things the same. We're talking about regenerating, mm-hmm. building soil, turning deserts back into lush, fertile gardens of Eden. Right. And we can't do that unless we understand the the basis of the, the root of the issue that we as consumers take action, which we'll talk about in a moment. Um, but you're spreading the word to... I believe, inform and empower all of us to understand the problem and be part of the solution. And I'll tell you, when you speak about our children, um, I I am very connected to my son and my three and a half year old knows reduce, reuse, recycle. He has a green, totally eco truck, right? That does all of those things. We have to teach our children this for future generations as well. You practice what you preach, both of you. Um, Your film studio rests or is nestled on an organic avocado farm, right? The big picture ranch. I, I, I think nothing says we are serious, seriously serious about what we do than uh, look how we do it. Right. Yeah. So our, where we make our films is in our barn. Yes. Uh, we turn that into our movie studio. That's and amazing. When we moved to Ojai, it was an, a monocrop, very chemically sprayed um, avocado orchard and so slowly we've been replacing those trees with other types of perennials Mm. every week we're dragging in different types of citrus and stone fruits and vines and everything that we can think of that we would love to eat we have something all year round um so that part of it is really wonderful but but our kids get Mm. to participate in growing food and they love it like if they want a snack they run outside and they forage for, you know, a tomato that they can wild harvest from beneath one of the trees. Okay, Josh, Rebecca, if you would please pause there. We need to take a quick break. Filmmakers, environmentalists, and so much more. Josh and Rebecca Tickle are here, and we are dishing on the highly anticipated documentary release entitled Common Ground. Don't go away.
Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio talking our current farm system and food system with filmmakers and environmentalists Josh and Rebecca Tickle. You know them from their documentaries, Kiss the Ground, Fuel, and More. The new release, Common Ground, is a documentary all about soil, healthy soil, the foundation of productive, sustainable agriculture, and how you can do your part to ensure we have a proper planet for generations to come. Josh, I wonder, you had extraordinary success on a on a, a monetary level, and I mean that with regard to the USDA and the exposure that Kiss the Ground had and the impact that it made by uh, f- raising or forming this $20 billion commitment, right, from the United States Department of Agriculture toward soil health. And I wonder what your goal is or your hope is for common ground? Is there an expectation or um, a, a, a hopefulness that it will continue to raise not only awareness, but that it will make a greater impact with the government? That's a great question. And, and as you mentioned, look, the USDA had to seek out and get official permission to watch Kiss the Ground. They didn't just watch it. A couple people, the entire USDA watched Kiss the Ground. Wow. And it really moved the needle in D.C. But we have a situation in our country, in the government, where half of the government is pushing for industrialized agriculture that poisons our children, and the other half of our government is starting to wake up and say, hey, look, if we poison the soil and we poison people, what's left? Yes, some people made some money, but at what cost to society? And so half of our government's really aware of regenerative agriculture, and they're pushing to make it happen. We want to support them. So with Common Ground, which is catching like wildfire across the country, I mean, people are filling theaters across. We had 1,200 people in Austin, 850 people in Seattle in one night. Spectacular. People are filling theaters. Love it. And it's, it's happening across the United States, across Canada. People are packing into theaters to watch Common Ground. Because they know the truth is in the theater. They know that that vote at the box office, that ticket, it's a vote that goes to the government, it goes to the media, and it goes to the big streaming services to say, look, we're done with sick kids, we're done with farmers that have debt, we're done with climate change, we want you to bring the solution everywhere. Our hope with Common Ground is that, in fact, it's a promise, we have it on the website, the promise is, that this movie will spur the transition of 100 million acres to certified regenerative agriculture by 2025. What that means, 100 million acres, just over 10% of U.S. ag, right? That's, that's a tipping point, 10%. That's one out of every 10 calories on the grocery store shelves. That's one out of every, every 10 farmers, every 10 acres. What we want is to create a movement of such momentum that it can't be stopped, and that regenerative agriculture becomes the norm. So that's the promise of the film. We want the government to see it. We want every person in every town, no matter how small or big, to watch this movie, vote at the box office, and tell everyone this is the most important thing we can do for soil, health, climate, and our children.
Okay, so how do you, how do, not you specifically, because you're the guy who had a veggie van in my research, <laughs> uh, a very long time ago, right? The, the young baby face. Guilty yeah. of veggie van. The, yes. You're the baby-faced young man that, that there are articles about driving around the country in a diesel van with yellow sunflowers that was running on fast food vegetable oil. So I, I don't know anyone else who put their money where their mouth is as much as you. Um, how do we, not you, you've done it, you're doing it. How do we become change makers? How do we first and foremost see common ground and how do we spread the word? How do we take action as consumers? Yeah, as consumers, no, which most of us are. Yes. I mean, you know, everyone eats, right? So that's a, we, we're all, we all have that common ground in common. The first thing is, like we said, get to the theater. If you can't see it at the theater, go to commonground.org. Good. Demand it at a theater. Call your local art house theater. Call your local calendar house movie theater that plays movies on a schedule and say, we want to see common ground in our community. How, when can you program it? It's a lot easier when they call, when the theaters call us than when we have to call them. So demand it at the theater. Let's have these community experiences. We're having what we call super events. We have, you know, 500, 800, 300 people in a room. Watch the movie. Then we have a panel conversation with farmers, city policymakers, government officials. That's great. People who are owning stores that sell food, people who have companies. What comes out of those screenings? Rapid change. Hmm. Cities are changing the way they're doing things. People are learning, oh, my gosh, I can farm on my rooftop, on my balcony. I can make money. I can get a farm serial number. I can be a registered farmer. I can get grants. I can get loans. I can even sell my food into the food stamp program, right? And so communities are building up resiliency, and that's what we want. We want this community activity all over the country. So commonground.org, demand it at your theater. We're the same on Instagram. And then once you've seen the movie, even if you just see the trailer, go to the website and start taking action. We have actions you can take. We're teaching people how to grow food. Yes. We're teaching people how to buy, how to use their dollars to vote for regenerative agriculture, Mm -hmm. and we're teaching people how to put pressure on policymakers to do the right thing. Yeah, and and that's what it's all about. I mean, as you speak to it, it is a collective action. We all have to foster this movement or our food system and our people and our planet will not survive. And that united effort is, that unified effort as you speak to, is what will make a difference. Um, Rebecca, I read that there is a free version for students that is coming out so that you can spread the word with the young and the, and the, the motivated, <laughs> the powerful. We, ha- we love, we always love making sure that students and nonprofit organizations yes. have access to our films, yeah. to all of our films. So like we did with Kiss the Ground, we had a 45-minute educational version and also a 45-minute farmer cut. Yes, and there's something they can do. There's an action plan. And, and to that, I, I give you both kudos. I, you uh, and your plight and... And the work that you do is such good work. I'm proud to tell you that Farmer Lee Jones has graced this show um, and that 
I highlight farmers and chefs and those who are doing good to better our planet. Um, and it, it is very prideful for me to share common ground. And I, I'd like to have you back. I'd like to continue to share the successes of your filmmaking and future projects, of course, um, because as the movie poster says, you are saving the planet one acre at a time. Um, so thank you. Thank you for what you do. Uh, common ground is about the practices that are tainting our farm system. And that word is, is too minimal, really. There are farmers of every color that have literally died to feed us. And this film is not doom and gloom. It is the hopeful, uplifting movement that will change the model of agriculture, that will make it regenerative, that will balance the climate, save our health, stabilize, stabilize the economy before it's too late for future generations. Rebecca and Josh Tickle are paving the way. So please find a way to see Common Ground. You'll go to their website. It's commongroundfilm.org, commongroundfilm.org. Org. You'll find it on social media at Common Ground Film. And I challenge you personally to tell one food lover you know about the conversation you just heard to spread the word, to make a difference, um, because there is no other way. Um, I thank you both so much, Josh and Rebecca. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, continued success to you in filmmaking. Thank you for spreading the gospel and thank you for making our children's futures far more hopeful. We can all do it together. Yes, yes. we can. Thank <laughs> yeah. you, Jamie, and thanks to your listeners, yeah. wherever they may be. Sure. Thank you again. Commongroundfilm.org. You have to see it. Take the Change Maker Challenge. Watch the film. Uh, truly fascinating, sparking a movement. Uh, may it rest in your soul that this needs to be seen. Tribeca Festival 2023 Human Nature Award, the documentary Common Ground, out now. Don't miss it. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Be right back. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, satiating your appetite. October is National Seafood Month, and I think that while every day we need to be mindful of it, this is a wonderful time to reflect on the health of our oceans and the seafood we eat. You hear me talk about sustainable seafood on this show a lot. It is a crucial conversation in order to keep our oceans healthy, to keep fresh seafood plentiful for my son and your children and generations to come. And so we talk about sustainable seafood to better the planet, to better our bodies, and so much more. Hannah Heimbuck is a third-generation Alaskan commercial fisherwoman, 
And, oh, I love strong women. Hannah serves as the co-chair of the Alaska Fishing Communities Coalition. She's also the executive director of the Under 60 Cod Harvesters. And her fishery, Twin Peak Fisheries, is doing its job to better not only Alaskan fishing economy, but also to create and continue to produce sustainable seafood for the world. Alaska is the only state with sustainable fishing written directly into the state constitution. Fascinating, right? So I couldn't think of a better expert. And Hannah, I'm delighted to celebrate National Seafood Month with you. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Very happy to be here. Well, thank you kindly. Um, Can you tell us about the state of the ocean? please, because you certainly have your finger on the pulse of the water. You know, gosh, the ocean is still such a wild place, and we have so many questions about what happens in those mysterious spaces, but there's also incredible oceanographic and climate science happening all the time. Um, You know, as a fisherman, a lifelong fisherman, I have seen my fair share of change, you Mm -hmm. know, changing how, um, you know, the the weather patterns, um, changing in fish behavior, changing in returns. Not all of it's bad, right? It's, we're, we're just seeing fluctuations. So I, I would say that the state of the ocean is change, and it's our job to be really mindful of that change and yes. respond to it responsibly. Yes, I, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. And that decision, by the way, uh, for those of us that love to cook and love to eat, and that's who listens to this show, um, is a decision you have to, I believe, make daily. So we talk about sustainable seafood and this concept, but I don't know that there's enough understanding of the definition of it. So if you would describe, explain, define sustainable seafood and why it matters. Yeah. So sustainable seafood means fishing with environmentally responsible science-based practices. For me, this means I try to be really smart and accountable about where I fish, how long and for what and how much, right? So it's responding constantly to that ecosystem. And this is important to me. Like you said, I am an Alaskan commercial fisherman. I rely on this for my livelihood. Um, You know, it's what we do for work. It's how we stay healthy. Um, And I really am proud to bring sustainable seafood home to my family and very proud to share it with the rest of the world as well. So have a, a vested interest in, in that system. I also know that 80% of consumers say they care about a healthy ocean and that it provides sustainable food. And that's really incredible to hear because making those sustainable purchases is actually a way that even if you're in a landlocked state and you've never seen the ocean, you can be part of protecting it by yes. saying, hey, like this is important to me. So what do you look for? Because there's been lots of conversation and controversy about how in the U.S. we don't have enough, uh, we have practices in place, but we don't have enough laws and regulations about the labeling of seafood. What does one look for? If you go to your grocery store, if you go to your fishmonger, what are the keywords that you suggest food lovers are mindful of. Absolutely. So, you know, one of the labels you can look for is the Marine Stewardship Council label. It's that blue label that looks like a fish. Yes. They certify fisheries all over the world. I really like to ask if a fishery, if if a fish comes from a U.S. fishery, because I understand those 
regulations and policies, and I know that that's a sustainable fish. By choosing to purchase sustainable products, you can play an important role in making sure our oceans stay healthy, making sure fishing communities and their way of life continues um, for the whole world, in fact. She is Hannah Heimbuck, and you can follow at Twin Peaks Fisheries. Uh, I would love to have you on again, Hannah, so that you can continue to update us on the state of the oceans and um, to tell us what's fresh now, too. Now I've got a craving for miso black cod. Never fails. Absolutely. Well, I would love to come back and tell you all about the ocean and what's happening in seafood. And it was just an absolute pleasure. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of delicious conversation. Insightful, no doubt. And I hope that you thought so. I hope that it motivates you to make good food choices, that I've informed you of some insight to what you might not know goes on in our food system. And I hope that you'll do your part to make this wide, wonderful, fabulous world of food a better place. I thank you for listening, but don't go yet. Before you go, let me leave you with my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of culinary conversation for this week. Um, The world is a scary place at the moment, and I am wishing for peace. There is no doubt it is stressful and um, difficult to swallow and watch. No matter your opinion of where we stand, um, there is no excuse for horror and killings and otherwise. And I do not get political on this show, uh, but I stand with Israel, and I will tell you that it is... um, definitely on my mind all the time. And with that said, a martini can often cure that heavy weight. And I love a martini. I found a recipe and I made it my own and I can't wait to share it with you. It's my last bite for this hour. It's a dirty martini pasta because you see, I need comfort food right now. And because (laughs) I could really use a martini... It's everything you love about a martini with a carb overload, right? It actually uses gin to deglaze. You could use vodka if you like. Uh, It has um, green olives and preferably a stuffed olive in my opinion. And it takes um, its inspiration from pasta al limon, which is a lemon-based sauce, right? With a little bit of heavy cream that's just decadent and one that I make my version of all the time. You can make it your own because I'm posting the recipe on social media now for my dirty martini pasta. And you'll find me at Chef Jamie Gwen. You'll also find thousands of recipes free to you on my website at chefjamie.com. And I hope you'll check it out. I will meet you here next weekend when there is lots more to sink your teeth into. I thank you for listening once again. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off and I hope you continue to eat well. Bye.